Rewind is brought to you by Press Play to Continue and recorded in the great city and state of Austin, Texas, also known as the live music capital of the world. It is written, produced, and edited by me, Corey Latimer. If you'd like to show your support by keeping Press Play to Continue weird, head on over to my Patreon at PressPlayToContinue slash Patreon.com. I sincerely thank you for your love, support, and kindness you have shown me. It lets me know I'm actually going down the right path in life. Thank you. Now, on to the show. people happy new year this is episode 10 of press play to continue rewind i'm your host Corey latimer i just want to say that you know like i said in episode 9 episode 8 episode 7 and so on thank you seriously thank you for tuning in it it lets me know i can actually continue on to do something like this uh with press play to continue uh, you know a podcast but before i guess before i get into this episode too i want to say i don't know if y'all are aware but i'm sure you are some people may not be but i wasn't i was actually kind of oblivious to the whole idea of making a podcast and to get into 10 episodes all on my own, I don't know, I, I, I guess I kind of have to like applaud myself, uh, it says a lot, um, and it, it, I don't want to, you know, come off, you know, this is by no means, you know, I don't really know what I'm trying to say, really, but it's just, uh, I guess I'm just proud, you know, that I've made it this far, and, um, Thank you for the support with whatever it may be as far as how you're supporting me. But I, regardless, I, I, I thank you. I sincerely appreciate it, whether it may be like my Patreon, uh, you know, or even so much as going as to even tuning in uh, or just, you know, texting me or saying hello or calling me and see how everything is and keeping up with me that that says a lot and I sincerely appreciate that fact so to push aside the sob story <laughs> um yeah I'm gonna talk about so yeah like I said let's see episode nine that was on the idea of uh, my top 10 90s alternative songs and that was the part one and so I directly said I believe at the tail end of that episode, I think I'm going to go into part two, which is today, which I'm going to bring you now. So to start out, and it was another thing too, is I guess why I'm getting this off so late is because it was extremely, uh, extremely hard on me trying to figure out what, you know, I, it, it was so difficult. And I think I'm going to try to do this as even with the 80s and even to the 70s and 60s. Because I just, I'm a huge fan of music, regardless of what it may be, because it's in my blood for one. Uh, mainly through my mom and dad and like their backgrounds and what, you know, how they came about um, music. And so I appreciate that fact. I honestly do. But 
I guess what I'm trying to say is it's just it was just extremely tough to narrow down ten songs that kind of broke out the decade for me within the '90s. And like I said, I want to try to eventually, eventually, I want to try to get into you know, like I said, like the '80s, '70s, and '60s, and like just try to move on to those decades because there's there's such amazing music all around. Um, but you know, to get into it. Nirvana, right? When I say the the name Nirvana, it just echoes. Uh, just because they're so well known and they're they're what's great about Nirvana too. I I feel like personally is for the fact that they yes they had mainstream stuff, but they weren't. I don't I don't think they were necessarily looked at as like a mainstream band there for a good while. I feel like afterwards, unfortunately, when Cobain died, Kurt Cobain, uh, the lead singer for Nirvana, it, I think they kind of got overpopulized, and I think that happens with a lot of artists. They start to sell more copies, and whoever it may be, I think uh, the numbers spiked when Michael Jackson died, like uh, his Thriller album went through the roof again, even though that album was released back in the 80s, so... That, that tells you something. But yeah, I mean, I think Nirvana will always stick around too because they're so well-known for one and they just have great music. And so, yeah, the, I guess, like I said in my episode nine, there this is like in no quintessential order by any means, but uh, we come to Come As You Are. Album was called Nevermind. It was released March 2nd of 1992. So... Yeah, Come As You Are is a song uh, in, by, I mean, obviously, like I said, Nirvana, and it was written by uh, Kurt Cobain. It was also, like I said, I think, I believe I just said it earlier, that he's also the frontman for Nirvana. Um, he was, not only was he idolized, I think, through the music scene, but he really set off like a whole nother... It's just like a whole nother generation of like pop culture. So he was pretty much the epitome of the 90s in a sense as far as the flannel clothes, the grunge look. That's what it was about. The long hair, I don't care kind of mantra. And that's, I I, I guess I kind of, first of all, I can relate to it because I grew up within this decade. But at the same time too, I just feel like it's always been a part of me. Um, I just, I just very much enjoy this music, uh, within this decade. So yeah, I, I mean, it was the band's, I believe it was their second album, Nevermind. And it actually hit the, the American top 40. And also, uh, it actually, I think it peaked in the UK, um, as well as in their top 10 hit, hit list. And there's actually, believe it or not, within this particular song, and I actually had to go listen to it because I wasn't even aware of this particular song, but there was an actual dispute, like a major dispute over this uh, Come As You Are, and it was mainly between Cobain and the band known as The Killing Joke, I and I believe I've heard of them just very briefly, but I didn't understand what they were about or what their music was, but apparently they're like an 80s band, and... Yeah, the song that was actually 
but compared to, or I guess it, in a sense was in a quarrel with, um, it was called eighties out of, uh, out of everything, you know? <laughs> so, um, and actually, like I said, when I listened to it, I was like, this actually sounds kind of similar. So I can, I can actually understand the, like the actual dispute of it. Uh, because artists always are like, um, you know, want to make sure there's no, any infringement upon each other. So, um, but yeah, another thing too within this song that really kind of struck a nerve for me after realizing everything what happened, and I probably have realized this ever since I was, I think I started listening to like Nirvana. I think, um, man, uh, probably like when I was like 15, 16, I want to say, maybe. So it was right out. It was actually right after. Um, you know, the, the decade of the nineties. So, but maybe even 14, but I feel like I started really understanding music and what I liked and, um, you know, the root of everything. I, um, huge fan of Dave Matthews and I actually started listening to Dave. That, that's by the way, that's my number one band <laughs> and will always, always will be. Um, there's just, I think I'm going to have to save that for an actual podcast for another episode just solely on Dave because he has a, he has a lot, he's got a lot of stuff going on with him, <laughs> but I'd like to share it with you. Um, I don't know what, I, what point I was actually trying to make just now. Oh, oh yeah. I was just saying that. Yeah. I, I kind of listened to Nirvana. I think right after the nineties, like it was like 99, 2000, 2001. But the, the, Oh yeah. The crazy thing about that. Sorry. Now I'm just realizing what I'm actually really trying to discuss with you. And that within the song itself, Come As You Are, there is an actual lyric. And it says, well, Kurt says at the very end, pretty much, I think at least a repetition of maybe five to six times. But he says, and I don't have a gun, and I don't have a gun, and I don't have a gun. So there's been a lot of speculation and theory behind that as well. Because clearly, I don't know if you know this by now, uh, maybe not. Um, but Kurt Cobain committed suicide with a shotgun. <laughs> Apparently, I don't mean that. That's a whole nother thing, too. Um, I, as I could talk about this, because I watched at least a few documentaries on this, and I actually did my own research online about this because I was just so curious about it. But I think me personally, he didn't kill himself. Um, he did use a lot of drugs. Um if you watch the document, it's called Bleach, I believe. Uh, I don't know if it's on, it's probably on Amazon Prime for sure, but I don't know if it's like on Netflix or anything else or like Hulu or something, but definitely watch that if you have a chance. But yeah, I, I, me personally, I don't think he killed himself. There's other factors that were involved. And like I said, I'm probably going to talk about that in another episode, if you want me to. If you want me to continue to do this, I will be happy to do it, because um, I enjoy it. I really do. So, uh, to, to move along, because I know I have to, have to finish this off, but um, there's just a few more things that I wa- that were in correlation with um, the song title, It's Come As You Are. But So, apparently, Blink-182 actually references this song in their song called Adam's Song. Did that make sense? 
That was a lot of songs. Um, but yes, Blink-182's Adam's song. Um, like I said, they made a reference to it, to the actual Nirvana. So I'm going to tell you the Nirvana lyric first, and then I'm going to tell you the Blink-182 lyric. So it says, take your time, hurry up, the choice is yours, don't be late. And so I like how Blink-182 flipped the script on this, in a sense. And it says, I took my time, I hurried up, the choice was mine, I didn't think enough. And so that was kind of cool. There was how they just completely reversed it and seeing a different perspective. Um, it, it pretty much polar opposites, I guess, in a sense. But I thought that was pretty neat. And then just to kind of finish it off with uh, Nirvana, because I, like I said, I don't want to go too long on this because I still have four other songs to <laughs> still have four songs to go. Um, but Cobain described the lyrics of Come As You Are as a contradictory and said the song was about actually people and what they expected, what they expected to be like. Um, and after listening to it a few more times, I could actually understand what he was actually talking about then. Um, so moving on to, because I, I mean, like I, I could talk pretty much all day about Nirvana, um, one of my favorite grunge bands for sure, absolutely. I'm sure I, I'm hoping. It's on the same list as with everybody else as far as their favorite, you know, grunge band, if you're into grunge. So there you go. But next up on the list, but like I said, not necessarily in any order um, because I don't really know. These songs always, it's, it's a hit and miss too with the 90s for me. So sometimes I'll be like on, on a jam. I'm like, this is it. I'm going to go with this for a while, but... I may do like in future episodes. I might. I might do a uh, coming back to this. Uh, change up my top ten. I guess in a sense, maybe not necessarily fully, but there might be a few songs that move in and out. Um, but Radiohead, Creep. Uh, it's a very, very interesting song. But I enjoy it very much. One being that it. I'm pretty sure. I think I heard Creep for the first time on Rock Band. Now, if you don't know what Rock Band is, it was actually released back in November 20th of 2007. So I actually graduated back in 2006 from high school. And um, I I was introduced to that song pretty much like right after high school. Um, Very So I was probably, what, 18? Yeah, about 18 or 19. Um crazy jam just for the fact that with rock band so okay what rock band is is like an actual video game but you can actually hook up instruments to it and unfortunately they're not real instruments but i guess they mm, they uh, encapsulate an actual instrument in a sense it's not necessarily like a real one but like it's they try to make it as real as possible and um yeah, I went to, I kept going back to a good buddy of mine. He introduced me to a lot of things, Chris W. I don't know if I should say his necessarily his full name just yet over this podcast, because I have used his name now a few times, but I, I, I guess I need to give him a call or text him and ask him, and maybe eventually I'll have him on the show one day as well, but he influenced me a bunch. Uh, one being for the fact that I look to him as a, as a big brother, um, and always will, because like I said, he, he influenced me so much. And uh, when I was really little, like I've known this guy probably, and he's I think he's like ten years older than me, I think, or something like that. But 
he, you know, introduced me to Radiohead. He introduced me to Dave Matthews Band. Uh, he introduced me to Soundgarden, I think, I want to say. Um, he, he very much, like I said, he very much influenced me in that respect as far as, like, especially uh, with music, um, concerning music. So, but in regards to Creep, Tom York, the lead singer for Radiohead, he's kind of a goofy looking character to begin with, but he's, he's very artsy. I'll put it to you that way. Um, very, just an interesting character. That's all I can say. Um, but he makes great music because it, you know, clearly. So uh, while, while Tom York was actually writing Creep, he was actually studying at, I think it's uh, Exeter University. I've never heard of this university, but apparently that's what it said in Google um, when I was doing my research. And by the way, when I do my research, I would say probably half of it is Google and then it's half of the stuff I have known just picking up throughout my life, throughout my 32 years. So I thought I'd throw that into the equation. But yeah, I said Exeter University in the late 1980s. So this song didn't even come for another 13 years later because it was released in uh, February of 22nd, 1993. Um, that, um, I keep saying, um, you like that? <laughs> uh, but yeah, apparently, so guitarist Johnny Greenwood said the song was inspired by a girl that York apparently was following throughout the university. And she actually attended a radio head concert show later on that I guess that uh, next semester or not necessarily I'm sorry not next semester um but I don't know exactly when because they didn't clearly say it but between uh, the time gap of you know the 1980s or right on 1980 to 1993 somewhere in between that time gap so in the following release of Pablo Honey which was the actual album name um for the song Creep Radiohead spent two years performing the hit song at every show and started to resent it after a while. And I think I would too, because I don't know. I, it becomes monotonous for one, and it becomes very, you know, you know, mundane. I mean, I guess that's the same in a sense, but yeah, after a while, I think it just, that goes for anything in life, you know, anything, you know, take something as simple as coffee. I'm like, okay, I've had coffee for like, Seven straight days now. I need to calm down. <laughs> I know it's not on the same scale as a Tom York uh, hit by any means, but, you know, hey, you understand what I'm trying to say. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, that that they just kind of stopped doing it for almost a couple of years because they were just so sick of it, for one, and they didn't understand why they had to continue to play this song over and over again other than the fact of, maintaining fans i would think me personally uh that's a tough call because me i don't know just producing podcasts on a weekly as of right now still that's tough but it's not necessarily mundane singing a song over and over again i could understand uh what he's i guess i could understand what he's talking about you know so back in you know actually 1994 as well i don't want to say uh too sidetracked but in 94, My Iron Lung was written actually in response to the reaction of Creep within the audience. So the song contains the lines, this is our new song, 
Just like the last one, a total waste of time. <laughs> Isn't that great? That's amazing. Like, you just, like, F it. Just move on. You can like that song if you want, but we're not necessarily going to play it on every show. It's what I got from it anyways. So, moving on to my third song. So, that puts me at, what, uh, seven? Uh, because, like I said, this is part two of um, my alternative 90 song podcast. So, we're at Soundgarden now. Black Hole Sun. Yes. <laughs> That's all I can say about it is it's unbelievably chaotic and wild and just it gives you a rush and it's so like glorifying to listen to it all and it's just like mean and it's moody and it's exhilarating and all the above, you know, all the emotions that you can think of. Black Hole Sun just you definitely for sure I like it. I like rolling down my windows to the song a lot and just like cranking the music and just letting it letting it ride, you know. Um, but the albums, it was it was under the album of Super Unknown, which was their actual fourth studio album, and the release date for that was actually March of eighth uh, of ninety four. Uh, Cornell actually said that he wrote the song in about fifteen minutes, which is in insane. That is insane. Fifteen minutes? Are you kidding me? That is just, I don't, I don't know else. <laughs> I can't even wrap my, I can't even fathom the fact of writing a song, much less a podcast within 15 minutes. That's, that's unbelievable. But thank you, Mr. Cornell, Chris. <laughs> I pre, I very much, and I know, uh, you know, millions of other people appreciate what you did for the music industry. Um, but yeah, 15 minutes. He was also stated that he thought the band wouldn't actually even like the song "Black Hole Sun." Are you ki- are you kidding me? Uh, well, I I guess I can't really understand it because I guess as a content creator on a much lower scale <laughs> than Soundgarden than Chris Cornell, uh, I guess I can relate to that somewhat because I'm like when I produce a you know an episode, I'm like I don't know, I don't know if anybody's gonna like this. I'm just Throwing it out there and see what happens. Other than the fact that when my numbers fluctuate, that kind of gets me down slightly uh, as far as my viewership or my, I guess, in a sense, when people listen to me because I can actually see uh, how many people have listened in. I think I've stated this in the past, one of my past episodes. I can't remember exactly when, but I have a software program and all that kind of good stuff. But that would, yeah, I, I guess I can relate. There's a little relation to that. Um but moving on to it's uncut magazine back in you know 2014 uh actually cornell uh he was also saying he wrote the song in his head while driving home from a studio in woodenville washington and uh apparently it's like like 30 to 40 minutes out of seattle so yeah that's pretty pretty wild stuff i mean i understand that the whole Seattle scene back in the 90s too, so many, they were producing, I feel like, grunge bands every few days, it seemed like, with Nirvana and Soundgarden and Temple of the Dogs and Pearl Jam and 
eventually, I guess, in a sense, I think that, you know, produced Audio Slave, but that's another Cornell-related, and so as, as well as Temple of the Dogs is another Chris Cornell-related band. He had a few bands, actually, under his belt, so quite the rap sheets, I feel like. But, you know, like I said, there's Pearl Jam and Collective Soul and Candlebox and just so many great, great grunge bands. Um, yeah, I, I guess to mention just real quick in regards to Soundgarden, because it deals with Chris Cornell. But the sad news is, and it really did affect me, at least for, I would almost... I don't know. I almost want to say for like at least a week or two, it kind of really affected me. I was like, man, that one took a toll on me when he, unfortunately, Chris Cornell passed away at the age of 52 back on May 18th of 2017. So within the last few years, um, unfortunately, death by suicide. It sucks, but apparently he hung himself with an exercise ban around his neck. Um I don't know, like, I think there was drugs influenced with that, unfortunately, but it's just sad. It is so, I think another thing, too, within the entertainment industry, one being it's, um, it's a very much watch your back kind of industry, as well as a very, it's, um, it can be high success, obviously, but I don't know, that's, the the uh, the downfall is it's a lot of I hear a lot of it a lot of like suicides happen and it's just I think well I, I don't know I think suicides unfortunately kind of happen across the board but I think more so maybe within just because it's so you know movie stars and music stars and all that it's they're in the the limelight so I can definitely see that being in effect but. So yeah, I didn't want to necessarily bring the episode down by any means stating that, you know, unfortunately he passed away. But there's a lot of happy moments for Soundgarden just because they were just, you know, just hitting it, hitting it like every few years with new songs. And it was just, it was great. But yeah, Chris Cornell, just to kind of go back to, you know, wrap up Black Hole Sun in a sense, he heard actually on uh, the TV, I guess... So from what I was reading within this little segment, um, from, you know, from my knowledge base is he, I guess Chris was like just at his home or someone's home, just kind of visiting. And apparently like the news or the, you know, the TV was on in the, like the back room or whatever, but I guess he kind of overheard it and the news anchor, I guess Chris Cornell heard the news anchor wrong. And so all he heard was and I quote, he heard, because I, I think Chris Cornell stated this, I guess, to like either VH1 or MTV or something like that. But he said, he he heard in his head, he heard blah, 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 black hole sun, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so, um, and that's and that's how black hole sun came about. That is the origins to it. And I was kind of shocked by that. But, you know, and apparently the song... Black Hole Sun only was recorded within a few days after writing it. This, this, it's just so incredible to, and I very much enjoyed doing my research on this particular episode as well, just because I didn't know any. I mean, I knew some things. I, I will be honest, but I didn't know some things as well because I was like, I don't know about when it was released on some of the songs or some of the origins to it. So it, it was fun to me, and 
I'm, I'm glad I'm able to share it with y'all. So, uh, you know, I want to kind of go into even, uh, even more of a deeper scale on this song. Um, he does have a major quote that I want to uh, bring to your attention. So it says, Cornell stated, it's just some, it's, it's some sort of surreal dreamscape in regards to Black Hole Sun. A weird play with the title kind of song is what he quoted. He also stated, um, from, so yeah, apparently one of the, I guess, uh, Times Magazine asked him, what is, what does the, uh, the lyric mean of times are gone for an honest man? Um, Cornell re- actually responded with, and this is going to be the long part. Um, it's really difficult for a person to create their own life and their own their own freedom, and it's going to become more and more difficult, and it's going to create more disillusioned people who begin to become dishonest and angry and are willing to F the next guy to, to get whatever they want. There's no such thing as actually being kind in this industry. There's so much stepping on the backs of other people in our profession. We've been so lucky that we've never had to do that. Part of it was actually because of our own tenacity and part of it was because we were just, you know, we were actually just lucky, um, to end the quotes, but yeah, I, I 100% agree with that. Absolutely. But the music video too, just to wrap this part up, I wanted to kind of explain the music video just briefly because watch it for one. If you, if you haven't watched uh, black hole, some music video, watch it because it'll take you back me personally is I found out that it very it very much replicated a I don't know what episode it was but it's definitely a Ren and Stimpy episode. Now if you grew up in the '90s, that was a very prolific cartoon. It was actually one of the original three Nicktoons shows that was alongside with say like Rugrats and I believe it was Doug back in 1991 and. Yeah, watch this video because why I, there's so much relatable content with it is because the music video took a surreal and apocalyptic approach to it for one, and there was it, it what was depicted within the music video was an everyday suburban kind of a neighborhood with comically exaggerated grins and. They kind of freak you out after a while. Like if you've been drinking, you know, after a while, and, and then you watch that video, then it'll be like, dang, <laughs> it'll it'll set you back for sure. Because um, I don't know, it just like I said, it kind of freaks you out. You know, you just have to watch it. Um, but definitely watch it if you can. If you ever have the opportunity, like I said, if you can, pause this, watch it, and then come back to it, and then you can hear me explain the rest of. Uh, this, <laughs> as you can tell right there at that very moment, I lost what I was actually trying to think. Another thing too, with podcasting, if you do not have a script or, you know, some kind of structure, I have noticed it will screw you up almost immediately. And, uh, you'll be talking, uh, you'll be going off on tangents and like I am right now actually. So, but I need to get back to it cause we're almost done and I have been going for a while now, but Show Crow, my fourth song in part two. Yeah, Show Crow. If it makes you happy, that made it. And I, that's another song that you just roll your windows down. This is definitely a good summertime tune as well. Roll those windows down, 
you know, fly 75, 80, you know, going down the highway, you're flying. It, it's, it's, a good, it's a good jam all around. Just very enjoyable jam. But there is, so a, a thing too about songs, just in general, some of them may sound happy, sure, but the actual, if you, you know, delve deeper into the actual song and the lyrics and all that kind of good stuff, there's some songs out there that are actually just miserable and downright depressing, but the, but the song is like up, uppity and, and upbeat and all that kind of stuff, which is, it's funny. It's, uh, I, I like that. I like, I, I like finding those songs too. Cause you're like, Whoa, wait a second. That's not how it's supposed to sound, but it, just it's kind of con- like a conflicting emotion, which I, <laughs> I kind of enjoy within the music scene, anyways, because it always kind of leaves you guessing. So Cheryl Crow, if it makes you happy, album was an actually a self-titled album, so it was just self-titled her name. Released actually on my birthday, September the twenty fourth, nineteen ninety six. I was actually I was actually nine uh then so i didn't i probably if i can remember correctly i'm sure i probably absolutely heard it on the radio but i didn't really come to understand it more and more up until you know when i was getting my early 20s i would think um but just all around a very good song and actually at the 39th annual grammy awards the album was awarded best rock album and crow received the best female rock vocal performance um, and it was, if it makes you happy was actually respectively considered often as regarded as show crow's best song, if not her best album, like I said, which is a self-titled album. And according to crow, the song describes a person who seems depressed or upset, no matter what happens. Like a, like I was just stating a conflicting emotion because it's actually kind of like a nice cruising happy kind of just a mellow type of a song or so i thought but apparently crow uh describes a song as you know a person that seems depressed or upset no matter what happens to them even if things go their way they're still somewhat sad and depressed and i'll I'll admit it i'll admit it on here on press play to continue rewind I've, i've been in that predicament several times actually but somehow i'm trying to keep moving on so that's that's i guess that's something right <laughs> so um but yeah it, the the inspiration be actually behind if it makes you happy was her feelings after the massive massive excuse me success of her first album Tuesday Night Mid Club Music Mid Club sorry see see podcasting can be tough <laughs> But it's uh, another thing, too, with Tuesday Night Music Club is, like, one of her number one songs, too. And I was kind of bouncing back and forth between the two. But this definitely, I think, topped it, um, if it makes you happy. But All I Want to Do. I don't know if you heard that song. But that's also a good song. It's also a good little little tune she brought to the table. Um, actually, on VH1 Storytellers, there was an appearance by Crow back in 1998. And she said... This was initially actually a country song. Song, excuse me, I gotta drink some water or something. <laughs> I guess after talking for so long, you'll start to fumble your words, unfortunately. But I'm trying. Um, yeah, it was actually a country song 
but she wanted to go back and kind of change up the lyrics some, and she brought it back into the equation as a rock song so she could actually get more exposure, which makes sense because I feel like, I mean, country music, don't get me wrong, I love country music, but it doesn't have the same type of nuance as, uh, you know, just like an awesome rock song would, you know, with exposure, which I, you know, but at the same time, too, I feel like country's kind of coming coming back around in a sense, but there is a few groups of modern country nowadays, don't, you know, not to get off on a tangent, but not good. Modern country, some of the, some of these bands, I'm just, I'm like, get out of here, <laughs> you know? So I, to finish it off, because like I said, I can't go for I've been going way too long now because I can already see it on the timer. Just to finish it off, though, uh, Dave Matthews Band. This one was very tough for me because I wanted to throw Dave in there to begin with, but I just didn't know what song. And actually, another thing, too, is I like Dave Matthews Band beyond the 90s. And like I said, because he's my favorite. They're my number one band. It will always will be. But I've liked, I've liked these guys past the 90s. Up until now, their recent most albums, just as great. Um, but it was very hard for me to decide between Two Step, Crash Into Me, Jimmy Thing. But Crash Into Me, I think, kind of, you know, encapsulates the 90s so well uh, with the Dave Matthews Band song. One being because um, it did very well in America. Uh, it actually reached number seven on the U.S. Billboard charts in March of 1997, so almost a full year uh, after its uh, initial release back in April 30th of 1996. So I guess that sh- shows you it, it. You know, whatever. You know, anything good in life, I guess it. You know, takes time. So, like with my podcast. <laughs> Not necessarily. So I don't know what I'm going to do with this podcast. I like doing it, but I don't know how much it is draining. It drains the hell out of me. I didn't realize how much it drains you. But yeah, it's just producing a whole it's tough, Um, but I'm doing it. So anyways, but the recording of the album of, you know, the album Crash. So we're going to we're going to just kind of finish it off with Crash because I'm talking about Crash Into Me, obviously. But the recording of the album began in October of 95 and it ended in January of 96. Um, so, you know, a handful of months after they finally were able to release it. Um, there were only four known songs actually from the Crash sessions that didn't actually make the final cut. However, none of these titles were actually known. And I'm curious if those four titles that were not, you know, that are unknown made it onto later albums, which I'm sure they probably did, but I just don't really know which, you know, like I said, within my research, I don't, I I wouldn't know, but I'm very curious as to know, you know, whoever wants to reach out to me, if you may know, then please tell me, because I would very much love to know that. But to finish it off, I want to say that on, you know, VH1 storytellers apparently Matthew stated that the song was written from a perspective of a voyeur. Now, if you don't know what that is, I'm actually about to tell you in a second. It was a voyeur watching a girl at a night, you know, girl at night through her bedroom window. So voyeurism, right? I didn't know anything about this. And 
I'm glad I know it now. Uh, if it ever comes up in conversation, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so voyeurism is a sexual interest and or practice of spying on people engaged in intimate behaviors such as undressing, sexual activities, and other actions usually considered to be of a private nature. That is directly from the dictionary. <laughs> Isn't that a wild concept to write a song about? Um, it's actually, it's a French term too, voy, a voyeur. Um, I guess in a sense, it's a, uh, just a fancy word, I guess, for a peeping Tom is what it comes down to. But it's just a, it's a wild, wild, crazy concept, um, you know, to have that be a song and it became a, you know, a, a hit song too. <laughs> It's just it's crazy. Um, but I want to finish it off with, like I said, thank you very much for tuning in because I know I've been going a while for this, but it was extremely tough and it's probably going to be extremely tough for me again because for one, I had to listen to these songs over and over and over and over again to really pick and choose what I think my top 10 consisted of. But there, I wanted to finish it off with a few honorable mentions because they were they were right on the cusp they were right on the edge of it but obviously man it was tough between Cheryl Crow and Alanis Morissette but uh she's definitely one of them uh Jagged Little Pill that's a great album I got one hand in my pocket you know definitely listen to that song it's a great song Jewel Who Will Save Your Soul that was released in uh 1994 There's No Doubt Don't Speak in 95 Pearl Jam, Yellow Lead Better, back in 1991. Pearl Jam is so amazing. I really wanted to throw them in the top 10, but it was it was tough between, you know, Nirvana and Soundgarden too, and I think uh I think those bands hit a, hit a little bit more home for me. Uh Collective Soul, it's tough, just as much tough for me to, you know, not have them in there, but I had to at least put them in the honor, honorable mentions. With Shine, um, which was released in 1993, and there's Candlebox, like I said, one of a, another great grunge band from Seattle, Seattle-based uh, band, Far Behind, was released in 1993. And there's, to finish it off, Hootie and the Blowfish, Let Her Cry. Man, Hootie, I, I love Hootie and the Blowfish. Um, but I, I feel like, you know, like I said earlier, I might jumble these again and Make a new top 10 maybe in the next year or so. I don't know. That'd be kind of a cool idea. But as of right now, as of, you know, you know what, where are we at? January 3rd of 2020. This is what I've come to. But yeah, Hooting the Blowfish Letter Cry, which was re released uh, in December of 1994. So uh, thank you again. I honestly, I really do mean mean it and always will I really will because it's tough for a lot of people to you know find find their outlet and I'm hoping that I have found mine because I feel like with a lot of people and it is a lot of the population just kind of have these mundane jobs and they don't really know what to do, so they just go about their everyday, day-to-day -day kind of living, which is fine for some, and I, I totally respect that. I mean, if you are honest and you're loyal and you can make an, 
you know, you can make rent on time and all that kind of good stuff, and you're fine with that life, hey, more power to you. Absolutely. But I know there's some people, even including myself at this time, but I'm, I'm slowly opening the door, I think, for myself. But it, it's really tough to, um, you know, come to terms with the fact that maybe you don't necessarily have a talent. I think this is kind of considered a talent um, or, you know, something in the creative a- aspect. And I, I, I feel bad for those people, but I, maybe one day I'm hoping that you can find your avenue with what you're, whatever you're going down towards. So. But thank you for tuning again. <laughs> I almost sounded like I was turning into another sob story right there. But thank you for tuning in. This is Press Play to Continue Rewind. I will see you next time for episode 11. And always, 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 you know at this point, be kind and rewind. Thank you. Rewind is a product of Press Play to Continue. The show was produced and hosted by me, Corey Latimer. You can find me on Instagram at Corey with an E-Y and my Snapchat C-O-R-E underscore L-A-T-I-028. As you know, all things Press Play to Continue are fan-funded on Patreon.com slash Press Play to Continue. I'm internally grateful for your time, love, and generosity. Thank you.